I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com, where I'll always keep you updated on what I'm up to. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's episode has been sponsored by Mini Rose, which is an amazing sweater cashmere company, which I am just obsessed with. It's named after Lisa Goldberg's grandmothers, whose names were Minnie and Rose. The knitwear company Mini Rose specializes in cashmere of all styles and colors. You can shop at minirose.com and get 10% off with code ZIBBY10, capital Z-I-B-B-Y. 10. Uh, you can see some of the sweaters I've been wearing lately on my Instagram lives and uh, and try to shop those. They're so lightweight and comfortable and they fit great. And I'm a huge fan. I'm excited to talk to Phyllis Grant, who is an IACP finalist for personal essays and memoir writing and a three-time Saver Food Blog Award finalist for her blog, Dash and Bella. Her latest book is Everything is Under Control, a memoir with recipes. She has cooked in world-renowned restaurants, including Nobu, Michael's, and Boulay. Her essays and recipes have been published in a dozen anthologies and cookbooks, including Best Food Writing in both 2015 and 2016. Her work has been featured in Esquire, Oh, the Oprah Magazine, The New York Times, Real Simple, Sever, HuffPost, Time, San Francisco Chronicle, Food 52, and Salon. She currently lives in Berkeley, California with her husband and two children. Welcome, fellas. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me, Zibby. Oh, I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. As I told you when we did our Instagram live chat, I really enjoyed your book. I mean, it is so beautifully written and it's so unique in the structure to it as well, how it's short chapters and recipes at the end. And I don't know, it was just fantastic, especially for now, I have to say. So thanks. <laughs> well, it seems to be people are saying it's sort of a, an in one sitting read sometimes, which is great. And I think partly because it's so spare, people can like gobble it up and not feel like they have to work hard. <laughs> I think my goal in paring it down was to make it sort of flow almost cinematically so that you're sort of flashing up a building and then you're in a dance studio and then you're in a kitchen, you know, so that, that flow seems like there's some momentum and rhythm that makes it readable especially right now when we're also distracted. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Could you explain in general the plot of the book and then what made you decide to write it? And I know it's a memoir, so it's not exactly a plot, but you know. Yeah, well, it's, it, is. It's, it is my life up until about five years ago is what it is. My, I'm 50 as of two weeks ago. And it is sort of the appetites and the desires and the career passions and and failures and it's just sort of tracing the things that I have loved and and they have all been very physical things starting with dance and then being on your feet in the kitchen and then writing for me is actually very physical just in terms of how I write so they're all connected they're all of a piece they're all part of me but it's just this book sort of shows how I I followed these different well appetites throughout my life for whether it's food or writing or yoga or dance or or parenting, being a birth doula, you know, just really just diving in deep to some of these things. Uh, I don't seem to know how to do things like in a casual way. And that's sometimes a good thing. And sometimes I think <laughs> a little a little dangerous because I go too deep into it and, and I, I, I get overwhelmed. So, but that the book is, is essentially, it lands on 17 recipes at the end. And these recipes are not directly referred to in the book, but they're alluded to there. It's just, 
they're templates for comfort cooking, which is what I've been doing since I had kids 17 years ago. So these aren't the recipes I learned cooking in restaurants in my 20s. These are the, the this is the food I've, I've cooked for my family for the past 17 years. I mean, that's a lot more helpful. I feel like the amount of people who are going to replicate a restaurant quality recipe is far less than the home cooks among us who could actually accomplish these, which is a great feeling. That, well, that, that's good. That really was my goal towards the end when I was deciding which ones to put in because I've been collecting hundreds of recipes for years that I've been developing. And it broke my heart a little bit to narrow it down to 17, but now it feels like such a relief because it, I, they're, they're, each one can have a purpose for either for teaching someone something new, like making tarto or a template for salad dressing. Start with what's in this book and then just look around and see what you have. As long as the balance is about the same, you don't need lemon. You can use sherry wine vinegar. You don't need olive oil. You can use coconut oil. I mean, so what I'm hoping is this gives people a little more confidence to play in the kitchen and not be so rigid and, and not be so locked into recipes because you don't learn until you step away from the recipes. At least I didn't. That's true. I want to try the cottage cheese pancakes, but I don't have any oh. cottage cheese right now. So. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? That's a great example because if you don't have cottage cheese, you can use yogurt. You can use ricotta. You can use sort of any creamy thing that you can throw in the blender with the eggs and a little flour and you have a pancake. And they're packed with protein, especially with a lot of kids. Sort of nice to start the day with the protein. So so play. I will. Make I, it I really will. Yeah. And we, we do yeah, have cool. some. Yo- we have some yogurt that's a little too thick that nobody actually likes to eat. But I think if I hide Perfect. it in this recipe, then I won't be wasting it. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you can add. You can add a little orange juice to the dressing. You can add lemon zest. You can, you know, just w- whatever sort of you're wanting. Whatever you have. Yeah. Basically, that's how we are right now, anyway. But I feel like you're including these recipes was more like a friend at the end of a long phone conversation being like, oh, and by the way, you should try making this, as opposed to picking up a book that's like a cookbook, right? I mean, these are recipes and they are user-friendly, but it's not about the recipes. The recipes are just another gift. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot because that's often how I end a conversation anyway. It's like, okay, I'll send you those five things we talked about, the link to that recipe. And then here's the thing I'm playing with and here's a photo. And that is a lovely way of looking at it. Thank you. That's cool. You're welcome. Really cool. I loved also in this book how you wrote about being with the child and walking through. I just want to read this scene when you're walking around Manhattan, if you don't mind, just one paragraph. But I walk through Manhattan with a warm six-month-old baby strapped to my chest. I walk to stay awake. I walk because that's what nannies do. Playing mom comes naturally to me, but parenting someone else's child is the loneliest of boredoms. I am 22. And then you talk about what it's like to sort of be a nanny of a baby. And this is before you have your own children. What was that experience like? And did you find it as boring to be a parent or a (laughs) Was it worse as a nanny? Oh, that's such a good question. I definitely worse. Well, I was going to say worse as a nanny, but the thing about being a nanny is you hand the baby back at the end of the day, whereas with your own kids, you might be bored out of your mind, but there's more at stake. You love the child more, you know, deeply, and it's it's a lifetime commitment. So it's easier to stick around, I would say. I mean, I guess nanny work, it truly, it made me not just bored, but just lonely. Yeah, sad, like deep, like pit in my stomach, sad, which is such a strange reaction. I mean, I was taking care of someone's child, but it just, it didn't feel like, well, it didn't feel like what I want. It didn't feel inspiring yet. And I suppose I didn't find that inspiration until I had my own kids. And it took me a few years, even with my own kids. I didn't love my kids at first. And I write about that. I mean, as babies, I really, the attachment, 
came very slowly for me. And that's a really devastating feeling. And it's sort of similar, I guess, to what I felt as a nanny, that feeling of like disconnect, I suppose. So thank goodness for the cooking with my kids, because I think when I finally got them into the kitchen, I started to connect with them more than I did when we played, shoot, say, shoots and ladders with that game. Yeah. <laughs> I hated that game so much. There are certain games I just can't even look at the box. <laughs> you know, I think there's like... You know, there's so much pressure for moms to enjoy the baby years and the early times, and it's not always enjoyable for everybody. I mean, that's a lot of people's least favorite part about having kids, and yet I think people feel way too guilty ever admitting that, right? I think now, like, I, my older kids aren't as old as yours. They're almost 13, but now I have friends who are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm much more of like a five and up type of mom, and it's like laughed at and okay, but when you're in it, it is not really okay to say that. No, not at all. But I think that's true. We all have our our time period that where where we feel more connected to the kids and more that like we're more helpful and we're more relaxed. That's sort of how I feel now with my son who's twelve. It just feels there's just this great banter, and you know we can read the same things and watch the same things, and and there's still this innocence to him. And you know, whereas my seventeen year old daughter, it's it's different as it should be. She wants to be with her friends, and that's just killing me right now. Luckily, they have their phones. I've never, I never thought I would say that. Luckily, my kids have phones, but they, they're seeing their friends' faces and they're talking and they're laughing. My daughter, so. for the first time yesterday, actually was crying at how much she misses everybody. Like she's been such a trooper, but it is so hard and she's so social. I think for some kids, you know, half my kids are fine staying home. The other half would much prefer to be out with people. So I don't know. It is the waves that we're feeling as exactly. but the kid, The kids, they, I think they are more resilient. They are stronger than we are. They're le- most of them are less fragile somehow. They just adjust to the new normal. Yes. That's, and I thank goodness they're, they're so resilient. But I feel like I'm surrounded by grownups who are not really adjusting at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> During the cocktail Zoom hour, it's just like there's always someone falling apart. <laughs> you also wrote about 9-11 in this book, and you did it in such a way that you'd never actually say you're writing about 9-11. It's like one of the ways that you're, unless I missed it, but it's more That's right. like yeah. you don't reference the date. I mean, you make it clear. So you just say, and it comes after a scene where you're eating and you're married. And then all of a sudden it's, we spend the morning looking downtown. There are no cars. They come later driving too fast, speeding uptown, filled with people in suits covered in ash. So all of a sudden you have to like pick up like, okay, wait, where is she now? What's going on? And then all of a sudden you realize, and then you're immersed in another moment with you. And I think that like, how did you, this is the trick you keep using. And maybe this is the cinematic vision that you were referring to earlier, but like, how do you, do it without confusing the reader because it wasn't really confusing. It was, it, I don't know, like, how did you do that? Well, I think partly because, and I can't remember if we talked about this on the previous, I don't know, Instagram live, but this book was a really long memoir at one point a few years ago. So a lot more of those details were in there originally, like probably saying 9-11 and really giving the specifics and the date and the World Trade Center. And although I think I do mention that at one point, but you're right, it's like not for for quite a few paragraphs. Do I even say this? the South Tower starts mm-hmm. to fall from the sky? So I think by paring it down so carefully for so many years, I was able to leave behind just enough. I mean, that was my goal. And sometimes like, for example, the page before when we get married and then we eat 12 cakes. I mean, that's really 
that's really all you need to know about that day because that's all I remember. And you know what? We didn't have a wedding photographer because I just, I was, I don't know why. I just just like, we don't need to spend money on that. This is before I started taking my own pictures. It just wasn't important to me. But we have one photo someone took of the 12 cakes. That's it. But for me, that's the wedding. (laughs) So that again, with the paring down, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't that I wore my mom's wedding dress or that I had my parents on either side of me walking down the aisle. Although those are beautiful moving details for me. I, I, I guess when I was examining that particular day in my life, it was the cakes that just rose to the surface as most important, the essence. And I've used that word a lot. I've been talking about this book a lot this week, various podcasts and so on. And the word essence keeps coming up that, that that's what I was hoping to do is find the essence of that day as opposed to all the details. It's almost like you're making a reduction of a sauce, right? It's like, this is what's, have you used that a lot? We've got to come up, I have to come uh, up with something I've new. Done, <laughs> I have, a few people have said that and Ugh. that's exactly right. And another friend of mine had a, has a very similar analogy, which is, do you know about dry farmed early girl tomatoes? No. There are these tomatoes, they're so beautiful. And in California in, in the summer, they're all over the place at the farmer's markets. And what they do is they deprive the tomatoes of water. So they're just they're they're almost like reduced tomatoes they're small and they're deep red and they t- almost taste like uh, tomato sauce reduction because they've been deprived and they have to suck nutrients out of the soil because they don't have water. So my friend, Anne, actually, <laughs> she read my book and she texted me right away. And she was like, your book is like a dry farmed early girl tomato. And I thought that was <laughs> such a lovely thing to say. And it's very much like this reduction of life, the essence. And, you know, I didn't set out to do that originally, but the, the book that I wrote many years ago wasn't good. It wasn't right. It was, it was, I keep using the word bloated. It was just too much. So I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if I went too far in the other direction, but once I started reducing it down, I couldn't stop, I guess is what I'd say until it felt right. Although I could have, it was hard to like, there is a point, there was a point where my agent said, okay, (laughs) stop. (laughs) Yeah. Leave us something. (laughs) Like, right, exactly. Yeah. I could have rewritten it. Yeah. It's not, a, mag- it's not a magazine article. <laughs> yeah. I'll just read one more. And this is like your full commentary on a move, which I it would take me like 20,000 words to describe, I think. You just write, we moved to Berkeley in the condo above my grandmother, Phyllis. We worry a lot about how noisy we are, the barking dog, our toddler's tantrums, our fights, my occasional throwing of a plate or a book or a clog every single episode of Six Feet Under. And then that's it. And then you move on. (laughs) It's so great. No, it's just like so perfect. It's almost like little poems, like not to keep analyzing or, you know, not that it matters this much, but, you know, to keep talking about the form. But it is what I think is so unique about the way in which you tell your story. And I I really respect when people try to do it in a different way because I read so many books. So (laughs) I don't know. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny when I hear you say the clog, the book, you know, that I can see like the dent in the wall from the book in the bedroom, you know, and I remember the clog flying through, you know, these are things, they are dramatic, but they're also just what happens every day. Something like that, you know, when we have little kids and marriage is hard and everyone's sleep deprived and, you know, a plate will fly across the room every now and then. <laughs> you're not you're not yeah, coming you're not coming to my house I'll tell you that much <laughs> I want to keep my cabinets closed <laughs> I haven't thrown a plate in a decade so okay <laughs> those, All right. days, so, those so, days are over <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm okay then <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my gosh so when you were writing this it sounds like 
the process was very involved, given that it was essentially a completely different book to start. So how long did it take from when it was what you called bloated, which I'm sure was also just like an awesome book, to now it's like the reduction version 2.0 of this book? It, you know, I, I, I think it took about three years, but I wasn't working on it a lot. My, my husband is a writer, director, actor, and he had a film called Captain Fantastic starring Viggo Mortensen that he wrote and directed and toured with that for a few years. And it was really all encompassing. And, and I, I didn't have a lot of time because I was home alone with the kids. And my sort of meditation or my peaceful 10 minutes, if I had them, would, would be with this book. So I would spend sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes five minutes. Sometimes I would just sort of grab one sentence and just sort of rework it in a day. So it, that's partly why it took so long. I, I, but I, I loved it. It didn't feel like a burden. It just felt like every time I got to sit with the book and move things around, it got better and stronger. And I also worked with a freelance editor, my friend, Kenzie Wilbur. She was my editor at Food 52. So she helped me, you know, every few months I would send it to her and she would go through and give me some comments. And we both had the same desire to get it, to really figure out what we could cut out. And there was a lot to cut out. As we talked about last time, you were saying maybe pull some of those things back and, you know, look at some of those fragments, those cutting room floor fragments might be worth playing with now. Totally. Get another couple books out of them. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Although I don't know, in some ways I feel like maybe I took out the right stuff, you know, you know, I don't know. Would you want to write another book on a different topic now, or are you kind of over the whole book writing thing or are you just getting started or how do you feel about it? Well, I, I have been collecting recipes as I, as I mentioned. So I'm working on a cookbook for sure. More comfort food, a lot of salads, a lot of tarts. And I also, I'd like to write about perimenopause actually. And I've been gathering some information from other friends going through it. And I think that's going to be my next either essay or, or book like this. You know, it's certainly, there's a lot of food sort of woven throughout that experience as well for people as hormones shift and, and a lot of emotion and a lot of similar stuff to this book actually. So I feel like that's the next, that's the next phase of my writing. Um, My kids are old enough now that I, I don't want to write about them. So that that's difficult in some ways because something will happen and there'll be great dialogue and a great exchange and something really powerful that I want to, you know, tell the story of involving my kids. And, and I, sometimes I'll take notes on that and set it aside, but most of the time I just let it go. And that's hard, but I also feel like I have my kids in this book when they're young, but it just didn't feel right to write about them as teenagers. I can write about my little toddler in my arms. That feels appropriate because it's still my story. I feel like if I were writing about my 12 and 17 year olds now, it's, it's too much their time and their stories. They're, they're not mine to touch in some ways. That's what I've been realizing, which is hard because I want to write w- about what I'm experiencing. Mm. I mean, maybe at some point I will, maybe it's just time, maybe in, in, in a few years or in a decade, I'll be able to. I would keep writing them down because otherwise you'll forget because yeah. I forget everything unless I write it down. Yeah. And then maybe <laughs> one day you'll want to write a fabulous novel and this will be a character and you'll have all this yeah. background stuff or wish you'd it's written it. Or maybe you'll just want to look back on it and remember your kids, you know? Yeah. Well, well, one, one other thing in terms of the, just the structure of this book is that I pulled a lot of stuff from emails that I had written to friends. So partly how I got through some of the harder stuff is by writing about it to my friends and having a back and forth. And a lot of that stuff right now, that's where it's, when I'm writing about my kids now, it's in those emails. So I'm just realizing they are in a place where I can capture them because I, unless all emails disappear. Every now and then I have that fear of like, oh my God, I'm going to wake up in that cloud. It's just- Totally. It's going to be gone. I'm like, but, I should print everything. I should just spend a day 
printing and printing my heart out, you know, because then otherwise you put it on a tiny little thing and I'm like, what are these? And then I throw them out. It's like my entire college is like, I throw out without even realizing it. So it's so true. But emails, I mean, if you keep them, that is just the, the that's our diary Mm -hmm. in some ways now. And so I, it's a good reminder. Thank you for that sort of reminder to, to write these things down and to sort of pull them together and keep them for, for who knows what. Because, you know, the stories with my teenagers are just as important as the stories with my toddlers. But it is complicated, though, when it's when you step outside yourself and into someone else's story. And that was the hardest stuff to write in my book, actually, stuff about my mom when she lost she lost the baby at 24 weeks. That was the last thing I wrote. And I actually ended up rewriting it. She gave me she actually told me it was much harder than what I'd written on the page and much more devastating and much more blood and much. I was so she. I interviewed her about it, about right, this was right before the book locked. And I was able to rewrite that paragraph about her and it felt more accurate. And it felt, yeah, really important to her that it was obviously more accurate. But that's the hardest stuff. Like when I was writing about my grandma Phyllis too, because I don't know exactly what she was feeling at 10 when she was cooking for her mom when her dad just died. So, yeah. Well, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Well, just sort of, sort of what I was saying about emails, like uh, I've had various friends tell me over the years to just keep your fingers moving. So whether you're tweeting or emailing or handwriting a letter to a friend, that's all, that's all writing. It's all, it's all a practice. It's a meditation. So just keep your fingers moving, I would say. And, and don't be afraid to, to just write some really bad stuff because I have written some really bad stuff <laughs> and just get it on the paper. And then, and then pl- great writing exercises to do what I did with this book is to take something that's way overwritten and try to pare it down to a few sentences. Woo. It's, it's a really fun game too you're into writing games, <laughs> which so much are. <laughs> Anyone with some extra time, line up right. the writing game. Forget shoots and letters. It's all about writing games now. <laughs> Actually, you know, it would be a, a great exercise is to open any book and grab a paragraph, whether it's a novel or a memoir, and then try to reduce it down to one to one sentence, rewriting it to one sentence. That can be really fun too. You should, you should post that. You should post like a yeah. challenge and then have people... Post their answers. I like that. Right? That would be fun. Yeah. And that would inspire people to write. Right, exactly. Or just po- post the paragraph and then, you know. And then have people reduce, yeah. And have people yeah, reduce it. Cool. Like, yeah. uh, call it like, you know, the daily reduction or something. And, it, right. <laughs> no, seriously, it's fun. It's, you could make it a newsletter. Like, that would be fun to play. You are an ideas person. I know. <laughs> I, have a, I have a few friends just like you where I sit down with them and by the time we're done with tea, they have like 10 assignments for me and things I need to <laughs> I am sorry. so not an ideas. No, I actually find it so comforting because we all, I don't know what I am, but I'm not an ideas person. So thank you. For <laughs> no, I feel bad because I'm always like, here's what you should do. And I'm like, this is bad. I should, I mean, it doesn't mean it's a good idea. I have tons of bad ideas, but I do have a lot of ideas. <laughs> anyway. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, it was really great chatting with you today. And I'm going to try the pancakes for breakfast tomorrow. I'm excited about okay. it. So I'm moving okay. this out of my office and into my kitchen. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. And thank you. Thanks for your book. Everything is under control. I hope you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Knock on wood. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. And um, this is really fun. 
This was fun. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Today's episode has been sponsored by Mini Rose. Check it out at minirose.com and get 10% off with code ZIBBY10, Z-I-B-B-Y 10. Now go shop for some sweaters. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 